on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Well, a big thanks to Afric and a big thanks to Andrew for the afternoon entertainment. It is Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, legendary football manager Harry Redknapp joins us alongside legendary football writer David Snaid as we cast our eye over January transfers and plenty more besides. Damien Lawler wraps up all the latest Gaelic game stories and Greg Allen previews what to look out for in the world of golf in 2024. As always, if you want to have your say, you can send us a text on 51552 or WhatsApp on 087-187-9200. Game on on 2FM. Good evening. Welcome along to Game On. David Snader sitting across from me. David, how are you, sir? I'm very well. I yeah. feel... Um, Legendary football. Yeah. I was going to say, I wasn't expecting that at all. That's totally trauma. <laughs> Legend of the 42.e and... <laughs> But that is what you say around the office when yeah, I go in, so yeah, that, that's fair enough. Yeah, actually, came yeah. up through the Luke and Gazette uh, Academy in plenty of <laughs> other locations. Um, can we, let us chat. We will be chatting to Harry Redknapp uh, very shortly, so we will be segueing into English football. Let us start with League of Ireland transfer news. Uh, and big news today is that Pat Hooven yeah. has joined Derry City. Is that the piece that was missing for them to sustain a title challenge? Well, that was the question we were putting to... Rory Higgins um, earlier on today we did a Zoom call with some of the press and I know obviously the Irish Independent broke the story yesterday and then following up with a, he's getting a two year deal you know and it just became very clear like hell hath no fury like a striker scorned because mm. like not that not that the, the League of Ireland has needed something like this to add a bit of, an extra bit of spice in it because obviously Rovers have had the four in a row and are going for the going for the fifth Derry have been runners up the last couple of years and Rudy Higgins since he's gone in there as manager that's basically been the state of the game is to get that the league title they've already got the FAI Cup kind of flattered to the save last season and yeah you're looking at it now like Huben it's kind of a surprise that he became available you know he still had one year left on his contract at Dundalk became the club's record scorer um, last season scored 14 goals I think it was only Jonathan Afalabi who's since left he's left balls to sign for um, a club in Belgium and Jack Moylan who has left shells and he's gone to, to Lincoln and it was just a bit of a surprise that Dundalk maybe were ready ready to let him go maybe the sense was you know he would be on decent contract there at Oriel Park and they were able to get a fee for him is it a case of sacrificing someone who basically has for the last couple of seasons kind of carried the club you know what I mean made mm. sure that they didn't dwindle further down and it was kind of kind of felt quite pointed that even Huben was talking about that himself that he maybe felt the last few years of his, con- his career have been a disappointment because he hasn't been at a club that has been challenging and he said like getting the chance to go now and play for a club who can challenge for the league title could reinvigorate him you know so like it's just, it just adds that extra element because he is a character who's been around the league you know he's like He's just he just he will guarantee you goals. He's gonna get double figures, you know. And like even like on the call with with Rudy Higgins and himself, they were side by side. But it was just very interesting. Like like they go back years. Obviously, even going back to say uh, at Merview when starting off when when Huben was starting off and when when Rudy Higgins was still playing and obviously coaching him as well. When when he was at Dundalk, it's quite telling that so, like, the stats. Like even like Huben was asked, like, do you know all all your stats for all your seasons? How many goals? And he was like, yeah, every single one of them. Like he is oh. regimented in that regard, and then uh, Higgins talking about the fact that like the they McDerry last season were averaging seventeen crosses a game, and yet the top scorer were two midfielders with eight goals, and it wasn't good enough, you know. And like the stats in terms of even like breaking it down that Huben with his goals, like he's not a striker who'll 
be a flat track bully he can do that mm. but he's going to be a striker where he said like over half of his goals for them Dock have been either have been the first goal for the team so they've either been the goal to get them in the head in the game the goal to get them level or the goal to get them back in, back in it so he's saying from that point of view this is going to be the striker who will be able to help Derry put it up to, to um, Rovers because that's what you look at the last season with Rovers and over the last couple of years they've just had that that knack of being able to keep, te- keep teams at arm's length because teams haven't been capable mm. of actually putting a proper run together or taking advantage like last year and this is something that Rovers manager Stephen Bradley said that last year was the year that if any team was going to catch them it was then because they had such a slow start and they were, they were quite disappointing but then as the season got on they were able to click into gear a little bit Rovers and put those runs run of wins together whereas now Huben with that with that kind of ammunition behind them in terms of Will Patching and the rest of it and um, so if it, he could be the, he could be the difference maker it just adds another element to a title race next year Well let's hear from the man himself uh, alongside the aforementioned Rory Higgins Once the gaffer called me um, once he got on to me there um, the other day I was just delighted to get it done um, between the two clubs was obviously something that was going on for a while but um, once I got to speak to the gaffer yesterday I was I was buzzing just to, just to be here I was excited I couldn't even sleep the night before so just delighted to get it done and delighted to be here you know I've seen what the club has done in the last two years and you know they finished second and uh, won a FEI Cup as well so like they've been building the whole time and the quality in the squad has been phenomenal and um, you know once I knew the gaffer wanted me that's why I'm here um, you know I've I played with the gaffer he was involved in the coaching staff as well at my old club and um, that's why I'm here because him i absolutely delighted to be honest um, I know Pat a long time played with him coached him and now I'm going to be his, his manager so um, there was a bit of work involved you're right but uh Absolutely delighted that he's going to be the number nine for Derry City now. After two second place finishes, a good striker can turn draws in the victory. Is this the final piece of the jigsaw? Well, you would like to think so. He's, he's proven, um, you have to say, consistently been the top striker in the country for, for a long time. Um, his numbers speak for themselves, and, and probably the most impressive thing about his numbers are that half of his goals with the first goal for his club in the game so um, he either put the team in front equalise or got his team back and he did big big goals and uh, he's a big game player so uh, delighted they, they bring him here and I look forward to working with him again some breaking news in the League of Ireland. Good news for St. Pat's fans if you fancy a trip to America. Uh, the MLS side Minnesota United will host an international friendly at Allianz Field, St. Paul, on March 20th during the international break. The Super Saints will also spend St. Patrick's weekend in the uh, Twin Cities. So there, there you go. In fairness, I actually just looking here, I think there's actually buses just about to start leaving from McDowell's now um, <laughs> to uh, head off. That's something else, isn't it? Yeah, well... Give me Europe over American friendlies. Don't mind that. Don't mind that. <laughs> well, Pat's also did qualify. I know, yeah, that wasn't a dig. It, that it, wasn't well, a dig. It, it's Bose fans listening to this. They're the ones who now who are. Well, uh, Bose fans will be pleased with signing uh, an Estonian international, Sten Raincourt, and they've been linked with former Pat's goalkeeper, Dean Linus, mm-hmm. uh, Ed McGinty as well, and former Pat's player, Jake Carroll. Yeah, left back. It's mad because he would have played in the cup final. It was a 2013 for Pats, and then he got a bad injury in that cup final. He's actually had a bad injury the last little while on Motherwell. I think he's coming back from a knee. 
a knee issue. He's been um, in Scotland for the last number of years, but um, yeah, Bowes have needed that. Bowes needed to strengthen because obviously losing Afalabi, I think has an Ali Coote left as well, and um, Dean l- Williams l- has gone to a lot of defenders have left as well for Bowes. Yeah, Rakowski's well, so. gone to Warford, hasn't he? As well, yeah. so there's, there's been there's been quite a few quite a few moves over the winter and with the, with the League of Ireland. Obviously, Keith Long has come back into the league with, with Waterford, but yeah, no, like Bowes do need that. They need that boost, I suppose, after the cup final and the way the way last season finished. Like they had a really disappointing end of the year, you know, in mm. terms of even in the league. Like the start that that they had when the Declan Devine was fantastic, you know, there was one point where Bowes fans were singing about winning the league, you know what I mean? And like it did look as if they were definitely going to be staying in the mix for Europe, and they just need to get that bit of kind of just just a bit of a an added something something into that squad just to give a bit of hope mm. again. Because Keith Buckley again, he's coming back from a very bad ACL. He's probably going to miss the majority of the season as well. So it's going to be like last season. He had a great start to the season. Now they're going to need some of these signings in the door to hit the ground running. Well, Bose fans were calling for some signings, so they have started anyway, as uh, still a few weeks until the, the league starts. Aaron McAniff linked with uh, Shamrock Rovers, a return yeah. from Australia as well. Uh, we are going to continue our conversation, David, but uh, we are going to hear from uh, legendary football manager, as I mentioned uh, in the intro, uh, Harry Redknapp. Harry was uh, speaking at the 10th annual Pendulum Summit event uh, that also runs tomorrow in the Convention Centre uh, in Dublin. And uh, a little bit Earlier, just before we came on air, I uh, had a chat with Harry and began the conversation about just what is it that he's up to at the moment? Just been managing the worst team in Great Britain, which is uh, a team called Cum Albion, which is near Swansea in Wales. And uh, yeah, they, uh, I think their goal difference last year was minus 197 or something. So um, Specsavers got got uh, this idea. They they had the, they were looking for the worst team in Great Britain, and they won the competition. And uh, they got me in to manage the team for a couple of games. So I've been up there doing that. Quite interesting. Freezing cold. Stood on a old park pitch in the middle of nowhere in Wales, and uh, managing this team that tended to get beat twenty nil every week. But the other week we got beat three one, which was like a miracle. It was like winning a game. Progress. I was going to ask what's your biggest achievement in football, but I think you've already answered that. That is it. That could be it. <laughs> that could be it. Come, come Albion. Yeah, getting them down from twenty odd nil to three one. That you mentioned there, I suppose the old school pitches and everything else. Are you still a football <clears throat> fan? Are you a fan of modern football yeah. at the moment? Yeah, I can't say I'm enjoying it as much. You know, I, I, the VAR and everything that goes with it, Shane. I find it all. Uh, you know. The excitement's gone out of it in lots of ways. I think, you know, it's a, a sport where when you score a goal, you jump up and your team, the fans celebrate. Now you're waiting for something. Hang on, something's going to happen. And VAR, we have an instance the other night where we get a, we get a red card for, uh, you know, the centre forward at Everton. Mm. And, uh, and you know, they, 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 he doesn't give it. He doesn't even give a foul. And then suddenly VAR intervened, telling him, hang on, he's got to to go and look at the monitor. He looks at the monitor. I still can't see where it's ascending off. And and he agrees with what he's been told by the VAR, and they send him off. Then yesterday, Everton appealed to send him off, and he gets looked at, and it gets overturned. He's send it. How can it be right? Yeah. Who's making these decisions, you know? The man's sitting watching the game at Stockley Park. It's only his opinion. The referee on the pitch, they've got to have the, the, the they've got to have more, you know, the, the courage of their convictions. When they go over to that screen, you know now they're going to 
give whatever decision they're going to either send, you know, whatever decision they've been told by VAR, they're just going to agree with it. Mm. I want to see somebody go over, no, sorry, I don't agree with that. I gave that decision and I'm sticking to it. That is, it doesn't seem to happen. Uh, so, yeah, I don't find it quite as much fun. And, you know, it was very different. I know I sound old school. And back in the day, all the players, they came to the clubs. They were lots of local players who wanted to play for that club. They stayed there until the club wanted to get rid of them. Now I think they come and go. Don't they? they come from abroad. We don't even know half of them are. They cost a fortune. Half of them can't play very well, in my opinion, getting a fortune. Um, and we have to uh, and they come and as soon as they get an opportunity, they kiss the badge and a year later, I had a mate of mine bought a horse. Right, and he called mm. it. We've got Payet. He's a massive West Ham fan. <laughs> We've got Payet. He called his racehorse, and I watched it. Right, I said to him, next year you're gonna have to rename your horse. He said, why? I said, because you'll be have to call it. We had Payet. <laughs> I said, he said, what? I said, because in a year's time he'll shoot off. Someone will come in, and he'll. Sure enough, a year later he's gone. He gives some excuse about his family wanting to go somewhere. You know that is how the game is now. So well, don't well, name your racehorse after one of your players, really. That's, a, <laughs> that's the motto of that story. Would, would you have the patience for managing these players who are nearly more or equally interested in social media? Would you have the patience of managing a VAR Premier no, League? Probably not. I'd find it more difficult now, no. Yeah. You can't, you, see, you can't even tell them off now. If you come in and tell them off, they start crying or they'll ring up their agent and their agent will ring your chairman and tell them you're useless. They've got to get rid of you. should be getting rid of the manager. It's it's so different. Back in the day, the players came in. If you left them out, why not playing gaffer? What's the pro- you know? And you sit them down, you tell them, have a chat with them about it all. Now they go directly. Their agents, the players don't come in anymore. Their agents go directly to the chairman. Agents all have relationships with football chairman now. That's how it works. They have a they don't have relationship with managers because they know managers are only coming and passing through. They have relationships with chief executives and chairman. That's where that's where they they're, they're the relationships they 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 work on now. They're not interested in football managers because they're not there long enough. Mm. I know many people, I suppose, yearn for the days of the old school association football. Um, many people might argue, actually, now, now that I think of it, that perhaps Gaelic football might have a bit more authenticity, and that leads me on to you did have a stint, a brief stint with Castlehaven. Um, oh, fantastic! Yeah, managing a, a Gaelic football team. Are you? Do you still keep an eye on the sport? Are you a converted fan still? I loved it. I, I've never, I've never been to a game, and I did it. Gianluca Viali, bless it, you know, who passed away. Uh, Gianluca managed the team. Erin's Island, Dublin. Uh, yeah, Erin's Island. Yeah, from Dublin, and we came down and we played them at Castle Haven on the little pitch there. And it was a sunny day. It was a carnival going on. It was fantastic. And the skill in the game, I thought, was amazing. The way they volleyed the ball and the technique of the players. And that's not even top level. So the top players must be fantastic, you know. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It's an exciting game. Well, we'll have to get you over. Have to get you over in the summer. The leagues are starting, but yeah. it's, the the standard, or not the standard, but the weather isn't great then. It's, what you want is Crow Park and a sunny day. That's that's proper proper. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> it's amazing atmosphere. Yeah, I, I would enjoy that. No, it absolutely is. Um, we come full circle, I suppose, and and, and get back chatting about uh, association football. Um, at the moment, obviously, listen, Harry, you've managed a, a host of clubs, um, one yeah. of which 
of course, was, was Tottenham Hotspur. Ange Postacoglu at the moment. Are you a fan of Ange Ball and is he the man to bring success to Spurs? I don't know what Ange Ball is, really. It's, <laughs> I don't know. What is he? I mean, if, it, if it's if it's defended on the halfway line against uh, against um, with nine men against uh, Chelsea, then that's that's not Ange Ball. I don't know what I would call that, really. That was... Uh, not very sensible football, but no, I love him. I mean, when the, you know when the job came up at Tottenham, I, he was and I, they weren't going to go with Pochettino. I, I came out and every article I did or spoke on the radio, I, I kept saying they should go for Ange. You know, yeah, I like him. Listen, you're only as good as your players. Graham Taylor once said, "Your manager is never as good as you think he is, and he's never as bad as you think he is. He's somewhere in between." And we all got, everyone got carried away. You know, Ange won the first few games and suddenly it's a new invention of football. Uh, and then they lose a few. And they, the reason they lost them is because they lost three or four of their best players who weren't available, injuries, suspensions. And now they're, you know, they're doing okay. But it's good players. What makes a great manager? Great players. And treating them right, getting the best out of them. But good players, good professionals. If you've got them... It's the easiest job in the world. Mm. You've got bad players. You know, I've said it a million times. You can put, you can put whoever you want. You can put Pep in it. If you want to put Pep in at Sheffield United, he's not suddenly going to get him in the top six, is he? It don't work that way. Good players is the most important thing. Getting the best out of them. You know, it's, it's not rocket science, really. The jury's still out and Timo Werner will be uh, interesting. Yeah, if, well, if, if, I, mean, if he, if he... Know, I think he ain't the... He ain't a bad loan. I wouldn't buy him. If you said to me you can buy him, I said not a ch- I'd say not a chance. Wouldn't be interested. But on a short-term loan, he might be all right. He'd come off the bench. He's got pace. He can get behind people. He might come and nick six or seven goals for you. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd say as a loan, as a backup, coming off the bench, I'd say he's not a bad signing. But if you said to me, go and buy him and that give him a three-year contract, I'd have said not in a million years. But on a loan, I think he might well be worth the gamble. Um, Harry, just before, and, and I know um, you're being very generous with your time, but before I do let you go, uh, I know you're, you're, you're managing the um, the so-called worst team in Britain at the moment, but um, the Irish manager job is vacant at the moment. Might that tempt you out if the offer ever came, Harry? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get me here. Uh, no, listen, uh, I don't know who's going to get that job. It's difficult, isn't it? Who do you think would be you the know, right person? You know, I'd like to see back here. You know, who deserves better in football, I think, than what he's got since he finished playing, is Robbie Keane. I think Robbie, you know, he's got he's got great knowledge of the game. He's got a great personality. He's a great guy. Everybody loves him. He was a fantastic footballer. Worked his socks off every game, give everything. I think he should be managing somewhere at a good level. I really do. His knowledge of the game... And and his work rate and his enthusiasm is, I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm really surprised that no one's give Robbie a go. At present, has I think split opinion at the moment his 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 work at Maccabi um, Tel Aviv, but he, he did have good relationships uh, with the FEI. Before I do let you go, Ruby Walsh uh, co-presents the show a lot of the time, uh, uh, Harry. So yeah, I, you I, I know I, I I tell you he would he would not let me go without uh, finishing on a on a racing question. You had a good win at Cheltenham on New Year's Day, I think. Is is yeah, racing taking up, Harry? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby, what a jockey! He's not, I listen to listen. If I'm winning a few, I love a bit. I sit home watching. I'm listening to Ruby. I want to hear what he's got to say, and I follow him in. You know, brilliant. Have you any, any runners? Any runners? Yeah, yeah, loads. I've got loads and loads of them. Yeah, 
I want to really, I, I really at the moment, I've just got too many at the moment. I need to shift a few. But when I do, I really want to buy a horse with, with Willie Mullins, you know. I think he's, uh, he's, he's a fantastic trainer. And uh, I'd like to get a horse with him. At the moment, though, I've just got too many horses. And, uh, too, you know, they... They they're quite expensive, you know. When you go about, I've got twenty over twenty five horses, and uh, they tend to eat a lot, and uh, <laughs> so they they're quite expensive. I'm looking if, when I'm gonna shift a few of the not very good ones out. I'd like to buy a really nice horse. What's more difficult? Really that that is my plan. Sorry, what's what's more difficult? Owning twenty five horses or managing twenty five footballers? Well, you don't have to pay for the footballers, <laughs> but the horses they cost you every month, whether they're running, injured. And they do tend to get a few injuries. You know, he's normally a... And as my wife always says, what's the excuse today, Harry? He couldn't go left-handed, wanted to go right-handed, didn't want it heavy, wanted it firm, wanted the lead, wanted to be held up. She's got... There's a book of of, uh, excuses, a bit like a football manager, really. (laughs) It was the referee's fault. He was offside. Their fifth goal... We got beat 5-0. I thought their fifth goal was offside. Yeah, well done. And they come on, they've got beat 5 0. They come on and say, there was lots of positives to take from the game today. And I'm thinking, well, show me one. You just lost 5 0. But no, race all training is a bit like bit like managing football clubs. I mean, you've got to have your excuses ready for sure. Well, on that note, Harry, listen, you're a gentleman. Really appreciate you taking the call. Great chat. And Good talking to you. We'll have to get you on again when Ruby's with us. Oh, I love Ruby. Top jockey, top man. <laughs> See you. Bye. Harry, mind yourself. Bye bye. Harry Redknapp, big fan of Ruby Welsh. Uh, David, I was going to continue our football conversation, but I think you've just checked out now. It's, uh, it's travel agents now, Minnesota. That's that's on oh, the cards. I'm from yeah. Dublin to Minneapolis. Uh, Minneapolis. Uh, it's, it's, okay. I, the prices have actually gone up by a little bit in the last little while. So it's um, since the story broken, game on. I know. I might need to learn off Harry Redknapp to make sure we get over there. To be honest. <laughs> um, let us finish our football chat um, on match action. Liverpool, Fulham tonight. League Cup what are you mm. expecting to see what will be the outcome be I think like after Liverpool's performance in the FA Cup against against Arsenal that second half was really really impressive but then even the news since the fact that Alexander-Arnold could be out for a little while mm. he's kind of he's got an injury now that kind of just shows you a little bit of like how maybe delicate Liverpool's fortunes can be as well in terms of like just how important he is because he has really this season obviously a bit more of a central role as well he just looked really impressive. Obviously, Salah has gone, has gone to, has gone to Afcon as well. So he's not, he's not around. It was in the, if you go back to their league game, if you go back to their league game between Fulham and Liverpool at Anfield earlier in the season, like it was one where like the game was in the balance. I think at one stage Fulham looked as if they were going to actually nick that and and get a win. And then there's like some of the goals that were in that were in that game were like sensational. I think it was a really impressive um, game earlier on in the season where it looked as if like I'm trying to think. I think it was like. December 4-3 was it 4-3 I think Alexander Arnold might have even got the winner in that game 88th minute yeah Endo scored in the 87th minute yeah they were a couple of goals wasn't three, it? On. two down but there was like a few crackers like, like uh, Alexis McAllister scored an absolute uh, belter of a yeah. goal in the first half but like Fulham were really impressive in that game at Anfield and like Marco Silva look what they're doing they've done this season like they've been really impressive as well in the, in the Premier League they beat Arsenal recently as well but then because it's the League Cup it's semi-final so like you'd expect both teams to go hell for letter at it to try and get to to get to a final Liverpool how would they do it like would they try and put the tide to bed in terms of like the first leg of the semi at home just get it get it done 
but I think it could be a good game. Like like you saw last night without the chances that are um, that Chelsea, Chelsea missed against yeah. Middlesbrough. Sometimes sometimes in semi finals in, in in competitions that like you know the unexpected can happen. So I think it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a good. One. Well, seven goals in their league meeting, so here's hoping for more of the same. Chelsea, of course, looking to overturn a 1-0 uh, deficit in the second leg of their League Cup uh, when they take on Middlesbrough. Again, David Snade, uh, legendary football writer of the 42.ie. I'll let you go plan your uh, your trip to America. Pleasure chatting as always. There ends our football chat, whoever we're going to be chatting. Gaelic games with Damien, Damien Lawler next. So stick with us here in Game On 2 FM. Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin. Game on. GAA. Now it is time to chat Gaelic games in the company of Damien Lawler. Let us begin our conversation on Go Games because the GAA are focusing uh, on Go Games and for those who aren't aware exactly what they are, they are camogie hurling and Gaelic football for children up to and including 12 years of age where every child gets to play, hence the term have a go in every game for the full game. However, Damien Lawler, some parents aren't happy. What is the situation? Well, Shane, I suppose uh, there's lots of research being undertaken by Crow Park and by the GEA. Like last year alone, uh, I think 11,500 coaches took part uh, in general surveys and they were split into different sections. Um, and there was a section, for example, 5,000 young people were surveyed between the ages of 13 and 20 and, and they gave uh, their opinions on how they train and how they play. But another segment then was devoted totally to, to Go Games. Now, Go Games has been a phenomenal success, Shane. Uh, since its inception in the GEA and it's grown from strength to strength every year uh, with absolutely monstrous numbers taking part um, you know I suppose following on from the cool camp success uh, Go Games is probably a model whereby everybody has a place uh, it's it's a place for all it's non-competitive it's solely developmental and while while you, you might have factors like ability grouping coming into it um, you have a situation whereby every player every child in the age group that you mentioned no matter what the code should have a chance to get on a blade of grass to be able to breathe see what the game is about and and not be subjected to a, a competitive environment and I suppose look at unsurprisingly we've seen trends in modern society in recent years and uh, certainly uh, in Irish sport you'll go a long way to find something that isn't competitive but uh, I, I suppose a lot of parents were coming from a non-GEA background and not really understanding that this was a developmental so it's something that the GEA closely closely looked at and it uh, became a, an issue that coaches identified as being a problem and I, and I think really I think the GEA said about the research and it's good to talk about it at the start of the year Shane because I think uh, right up to under 17 uh, should be developmental in many people's eyes in this country and if you look at the Belgian Football Association and their technical director Chris van der Hagen what he brought in was no competitive divisions or league tables in Belgian soccer until you hit 18 years of age so no league tables anything like that and that that did serve to bring Belgium uh, to number one in the world at one point now did they win much silverware along the way they certainly didn't at the major tournaments but they would have climbed up significantly in the world rankings and they are seen and held up as, as a bastion of how to do things properly so feeding in here to the maybe the activity on the sideline players being shouted at from the sideline across all grades the G picked up on a lot of media kind of reports you know from games at that level 
and they decide to do their own research. And Dr. Peter Horgan was at the fulcrum of that chain. And when I chatted to him earlier this week, he had some interesting things to say about the whole issue. The, the research that we did was really to try and understand um, how coaches, parents and players uh, understood and were involved in and tried to, and tried to roll out goal games. So a lot of the, the sort of narrative conversation that might have been uh, around last summer was about the, the nature of goal games and how they were organised and the various ways they were organised across the country. But we wanted to ask coaches about, well, how do you organise goal games in your club? Uh, we wanted to speak to players about how they understood and how they enjoyed it and also to parents to understand from a parental perspective how their kids and how their clubs um, were trying to run goal games for them. Would the parents then nearly have been the most interesting demographic there, Peter? Because, you know, we've all probably heard stories of maybe players not fully understanding the goal game's developmental concept, maybe putting too much pressure on the child, uh, maybe being too vocal on sidelines, and maybe maybe not really fitting in with the, the coaching ethos as well. Now, that's just one segment of it. Would, would that have been maybe a, a key chunk of research or feedback that came out of the survey? Um, to some extent, yes. So... Um what the findings really showed us is from a coaching perspective, there was a lot of different agendas that coaches were trying to, trying to deal with. So we're trying to make sure that, the, that players were retained in their clubs, first and foremost. They were trying to develop their players to, make them, uh, to improve the standards and so on. But they were also conscious of the need to make sure that the games happened in the, in the right way. So coaches were, were trying to make sure that the games were even and competitive enough to ensure that, you know, that the players progressed. From a parental perspective, some parents didn't or maybe didn't have a massive background in Gaelic games so mightn't have understood uh, the focus or, or, or the, the ethos of goal games. But what was interesting was when, when the researchers and also the coaches would have spoken to parents about, the, about goal games, their ethos and, 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 and the philosophies around them, parents naturally understood them uh, and, fully, and actually did agree with them. Um, but I suppose one of the things that we would have learned from this is that there's a constant need to communicate and a constant need to um, work with parents, coaches and players so that they do understand what the ethos and culture of Go Games are and that this thing can, this can be propagated across different clubs. Uh, the Go Games concept has been a phenomenal success. The numbers have been outrageous, increasingly in every, every year. That would suggest the model is still working. Is it still working after what you've taken in terms of feedback, Peter? I think it is. Um, the feedback was massively positive from parents, coaches and players. But as you said, sometimes the success can be a challenge in itself. So one of the things that coaches were trying to, to manage was the number of players that they had coming. So especially maybe in bigger clubs and more urban clubs, um, where the number of players is, is greater because um, goal games is, is, on a, is played on a small-sided basis so um, generally on 7, 9 or 11 a side uh, although there is, there is some wiggle room within that but the, the emphasis and the ethos is that um, every player plays um, and every player plays for all of the game where that is absolutely possible but because some clubs uh, were dealing with very big numbers of players when you divide those into small, uh, small teams and small numbers you do need more facilities you need more parents and volunteers and other coaches to help out so it becomes quite, uh, quite challenging from a logistical perspective so there, that was one of the things that coaches were trying to deal with equally then coaches were trying to uh, ensure that their players were appropriately challenged so we know that there's a, there can be a broad differential in the standard of players at that age so players are only really learning how to play the games um, and coaches were conscious that maybe some of the, the, the less 
um, developed players that they didn't want to overexpose them to a challenge that they couldn't meet. While at the same time, some of the, um, the stronger bit, players to, to be able to uh, make sure that they are exposed to a challenge that they can try and meet. So one, so one of the key pieces of feedback from coaches and players, interestingly enough, was nobody wanted to be part of a one-sided game, either where you were the dominant team or where you were um, the, the weaker side. So coaches tried to manage the, the competition within the game to make sure that the, the challenge was there for all the players within the game. And that, that was one of the things that coaches really spoke about as being important for them. So when you mentioned then about a, a ability grouping, so that's, that's a really important piece. Um, sometimes people call this streaming or, uh, yeah. and, and so on. So one of the next phases that we want to look at now is how exactly do coaches try and manage that competition within the game? So if you are from maybe a bigger club with more players and, and so on, well, how do you, um, how do you divide out your teams? Mm. What, what are you trying to do? What, how do you manage the stronger and, and the weaker, the sort of spectrum there of, of strong to weak players? Um, so we're, that's going to be the next phase of our, of our, of our research. And we're, we're, um, we uh, were successful in applying for a Sport Ireland research grant um, to look at that. And we're going to be doing some work with that now with, um, with MTU Cork and, and, and University of Limerick in, in 2024. So one of the other things for us really was that a really interesting finding was about enjoyment. So the, the participants, the kids, the children told us that they really enjoyed playing go games. But what was really uh, interesting was that that enjoyment came from different places so some kids were really happy in, about being with their friends some were really happy to challenge themselves to be better players at hurling or football or whatever and they really enjoyed the contest and the, comp- and the, the competition within the game um, so the, the nature of the enjoyment is another factor that I think that we need to consider for this and we have to be conscious that some, some young people they, they get their enjoyment from different elements of goal games and it's not a one size fits all approach and just then to, to move it on a little bit, and uh, this maybe is a, a question that maybe comes out of the, the survey you've done. You remember uh, Chris van der Hagen at the GEA coaching conference and the model that Belgium used, uh, non-competitive, up to 18 years of age. Where would the GEA fit into that, Peter, like going forward? Do you, do you think the association is, is ready to embrace a concept like that fundamentally, con- considering the amount of competition and intensity that's there at underage GEA the moment you leave goal games? I think the difficulty with um, when you consider young people's sport is that there's such a broad variety of, of wants and needs that young people have. When Chris came and spoke with us in, in, in the GA, it was very, very clear to us mm. that not alone in Gaelic games and soccer, but essentially every sport in the world is trying to manage the, the development and, and introduction to their sport that young people have. Most sports have, uh, for the child or the youngest players, have a modified version of their main of their main sport with, with modified rules, modified equipment, modified uh, playing spaces, and so on. Yeah. Uh, and goal games is 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 an example of that as well. What was interesting for us, as we mentioned about the enjoyment that people have, and that, that enjoyment comes from different places. We've also done a, a separate piece of research um, with youth players. So. 13 to 20 year old players and we'd over 5,000 um, youth players responded to a survey for us and what was really interesting when we asked them about their involvement in Gaelic games enjoyment was really really high um, but the number one reason that they wanted to be involved was they, they enjoyed being competitive mm. now that's interesting because they didn't say they wanted to win okay. they wanted to be competitive they were very much again similar to the child players in the goal games research um, 
they were not interested in one-sided games. They wanted to be in, in, in uh, relatively challenged. They wanted mm. to be challenged. One of the things that we looked at with that then was to try and see, well, how can we understand how people um, enjoy the games and what, what, what leads to people enjoying the games? So one of the other things that we, that we found was there was a really strong relationship between coaching behaviour and player enjoyment. So coaches um, who, who displayed what are called autonomy supportive behaviours, players of those coaches report, uh, rated their coaching as really, really high, but they also rated their enjoyment of our games really, really high and their intention to continue playing was, was um, very positive as well. So that was uh, Dr. Peter Horgan, who was responsible for leading, managing and coordinating elements of the GA Games uh, development uh, programme. A wide-ranging and really interesting uh, interview. A lot, I suppose, to, to take in. What's the main takeaway from yourself? What, what did you come away from, from that chat, kind of being informed on most? Yeah. Kids aren't fools. They know the scores themselves in games like that, but it, it, the scoreline in a, in a goal game shouldn't be important. What is important is, did the players get a little bit of competition uh, I, I sound like I'm contradicting myself now, but did they get a competitive outing in a non-competitive platform? That's what I mean. And by that, I mean, they know themselves to score, but like, you know, did they get a good run around? Were they tested, were they tested against people of their own level? Uh, were they able to get the ball in their hand and have a look without people shouting at them? Um, and were the coaches, and coaches are the key here because coaches are the most positive influence on a player of that age, and they will shape their, maybe, their views on the games going forward. And I think it's actually after opening the window for for further studies uh, into this area uh, from the GEA. So I, th- I think it's very significant that uh, the GEA are looking really at the people who matter here, the coaches, but the players, uh, and obviously you, you can survey players of that age, but you can certainly survey coaches uh, and you can build on that now and add to the research. And the more information the GEA have about this sector going forward, uh, I think the better equipped it'll be to, to try and put in place more assists for coaches and, and more numbers as well, Shane, because I, I think the numbers of goal games are absolutely astounding. And it's, it's, some, it's some people's introduction into the community and it has to be done uh, in, in a proper fashion and it is done 95% of the time but I think they're looking in at it 5% to say do we need to re-educate do we need to remind people of the responsibilities on the sideline and, and it, it's a good exercise to undertake Absolutely is a great exercise um, Speaking of surveys uh, Little Ireland in conjunction with the LGFA today launched a campaign to get behind the fight and support live female sport as research shows 59% of Irish people have never attended mm. a female sports event and um, Damien, are you surprised to see this Red Sea poll um, stat come out? And there's plenty of others uh, within the report. And I suppose, are we on the right trajectory to see that number dwindle going forward? Yeah, uh, two questions there, Shane. I think, first of all, it throws down a gauntlet, doesn't it, at the mm. start of the season? There's no doubt about that. It's, it's a good move from, from the sponsor and it, 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 it forces... Just maybe when you think that, that you were making progress in the whole area, this, this is it's a startling statistic. And uh, I think, like, 59%, as you say, have never attended a female sport event. I, I, I find that incredible. Mm. And they're five times more likely to go to a male sporting event over the equivalent, uh, you know, female sporting event. Now... I do think the tide is turning, and I mean, what what's my proof for saying that? Um, well, you know, my my little daughter was one of the thirty six thousand people that watched the Republic beat Northern Ireland. Uh, you know, um, Eileen Gleeson's one yeah. of her first games in charge. In, you know, at the Aviva, that was a huge, huge attendance, and I think. I think with the LGFA, like they got fifty six thousand for the, the two thousand and nineteen final as well. So like certainly, and and Camogie is up too. Shane, it has to be said, Camogie are, are really have a. We don't know what 
Camogie have let the game go physical, they've mm. let the game run, they've let the game flow, and people have started to turn up in greater numbers. So that's that's a, a direct link you can make there as well. I think the uh, LGFA at the top level has gone off the charts in terms of performance levels in recent years. Um, some of the rules that the LGFA has uh, are fantastic, like the countdown clock, um, the pick-up. You know, they, they, could, they could certainly set the tone, but I just think that maybe the, the survey... It's a, it's a little bit of a shock, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would have felt that uh, more than 59%. It, it, it's, it's a big number. Um, and maybe just serves to remind us that it's the same people going to all these events, um, both female and male. Um, but but uh, it's, it's, a, it's probably no harm that it's out this stage of the year. It certainly drives the agenda. Uh, and I think at, at the launch then, you've, you've, you've speakers there speaking about what needs to be done. And it's back in the media awareness again now, Shane. And that's not a bad thing at all at all. Absolutely. The uh, Lidl National League's not too far away as well. We'll be previewing them with uh, Nadine Tarty in due course. Um, Damien, let's finish our conversation with Ulster football because there is plenty happening uh, both in Donegal and indeed in Monaghan. Yeah, well in Monaghan I suppose that the news of the past few weeks was that uh, Carol Gallagher, uh, you know, their, their star young full forward at 21 years of age, signed a two-year AFL deal with the, with the Adelaide Crows. And I suppose, you know, Anybody in Gaelic football would say the very best look to you, Carl, and it's a shame to see you go. And it certainly is a shame to see you go. But when you have a when you have a chance like that, you have to take it. Of course, then you know with Rory Began going off um, place kicking uh, for the NFL, um, you know, at, at trials, which is which is really really intriguing, I guess. You know, but you're 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 losing you're losing a class player for for much of the national league anyway mm. and you're you're down a, a full forward as well in Carl Gallagher but the good news the good news is that Carl O'Connell is is committing for another year and what a player he has he is i think he had one of his best seasons ever i think he's 35 years of age now but he's a rangy player up and down that wing and i think he had a fine year for Monaghan last year and Darren Hughes is back as well so i think that um i i think really that for a county like Monaghan, let's be honest about it, Shane, they don't have the biggest population. They're serial big hitters. They've been, in, I'd say, second only to the likes of Kerry uh, over, over recent times. What they've done is actually incredible. What I'm trying to say to you is they need every single player they can get. Mm. So while Rory Began, again, you'd have to wish him luck and, and what he's doing is fantastic. Same way with Carl Gallagher, but at least they've got O'Connell and they've got Darren Hughes to stick around. And, you know, they didn't do much wrong last year either, Shane. They were working far off the pace. They probably are going to need everybody. But I guess such is life when you're, you're not regularly lifting silverware and you, you can't command your best players around. And I guess then the, the other news really is, you know, everybody's waiting to see if, if Jim McGuinness's uh, eight-week sideline suspension for Donegal fielding um, an eligible player in the McKenna Cup against Armagh will be, will be, will be halved or will be appealed. Uh, Finbar Rorty was, was 17 when he played in the, uh, Donegal's McKenna Cup win um, you know, against Armagh uh, a couple of weeks ago. And you know, the, the rule says that inter-county senior players have to be aged 18 by the start of the calendar year. Oh, I personally think the whole thing's a bit harsh, Shane. I won't lie to you. And I think that maybe it's the administration maybe should serve the suspension rather than the manager. But look, I guess the rule book is the rule book. But I, I can see it I can see it being being reduced. I really can. It's it's harsh. But I say one thing, it will certainly light a fire for not the gym needed a fire, but it it'll if he needs kindling up there, it'll provide lots of it for the year ahead. You know, it's uh it's it's more fire for the furnace for the the intrinsic and the internal motivation. And look Jim, Jim is a is a psychologist in terms of 
he's approached to the game and he's got qualifications in the area as well. He used all that to the advantage as well. So uh, you might see you might see the retort to that later in the year, I think. Sure, he's only out of goal games and now he's playing McKenna Cup football, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Damien Lawler, we will leave it there. Gentlemen, as always, appreciate you taking time. All right, time. Shane, pleasure. Game on. Golf. Now, Greg Allen joins me for the final part of this evening's uh, Game On and we are chatting golf. Greg, let us begin our conversation on Roy McIlroy because Mr McIlroy sees a world tour as a dream scenario for golf. However, is it a realistic, I should say, scenario? Well, I think with the talks that are going on at the moment between the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia and the PGA Tour, and also quite a few of the commercial interests who've got lots and lots of billions to throw into this, the Fenway Sports Group being part of all of that. It's actually, it's actually kind of hard to know how this is going to break, but clearly also it's kind of hard to know what Rory McIlroy might say next in all matters kind of relating to the future of men's professional golf. But I think one thing is for sure, and that is by stepping back from the politics of the game, because he's no longer on this PGA Tour policy board and he's now just an ordinary Joe, so to speak. Well, he's never going to be an ordinary Joe, but in terms of politics, that's where he, he's kind of placed himself. So he's rowing back dramatically from all the confrontation, mm. uh, striking a very conciliatory tone. He had that podcast, uh, the Stick to Football podcast last week, where he said a lot of things which were very conciliatory with regard to, you know, let's piece our way out of this in some mm. sort of way. Uh, but this is also a player who only said last June that he hated Live Golf. But between that Sky podcast, he also made comments today saying that he thinks a world tour, which would be his dream scenario, is something that can be aimed for in these talks. But there's a real irony in him speaking about a world tour because the kind of guy who's his nemesis in all of this, which has been Greg Norman, Greg Norman, you know, had proposed this world tour 30 years ago. Uh, and it was rejected out of hand by the PGA Tour. And to some degree, Norman was humiliated by the rejection. And that humiliation has definitely fueled his own enthusiasm for live golf. But McElroy said his hope is not just for you know events in Europe and in uh, the Middle East and in, obviously in the United States, but also Japan, South Africa, Australia, with the proviso, though, that corporate America has to remain a very big part of it. And of course, Saudi Arabia. Informally, we sort of have most of that global schedule anyway with if you look at what all the 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 tournaments that all the top players play it's only to make sure that the biggest tournaments in america are there obviously that's you know uh, the biggest place that we play but also just trying to elevate some of the the other tournaments around the world so middle east continental europe uk and ireland you know the far east whether it be japan korea you know singapore hong kong australia south africa i mean you've got a lot of different opportunities there and I think if we really want to, if everyone's talking about growing the game and trying to, you know, especially if these investors are going to come into our game and they want to return on their on their capital, everyone needs to start thinking more globally around it, but globally in a, in a holistic way, not really like this tour or that tour or another tour, really like, okay, well, what is the best structure for elite men's professional golf? So if the game is going to look different going forward and everything's on the table, I, I just think it's worth having that conversation. Always interesting to hear from Rory McIlroy. Does 2024 have to be a big year for him? Well, he's going to be 35 in uh, in May. Um, and, you know, typically I think golfers feel that their best years begin to start to drop off in their late 30s. Mm. Doesn't happen for everyone. Justin Rose is playing well in his early 40s at the moment, but he's not at his peak. And it's, you know, generally speaking, that 37, 38, 39 tends to be the territory where you aim to be 
up to your peak. So McElroy still has this extraordinary you know, goal of becoming one of the world's most respected players in history. To do that, he feels he has to win the career Grand Slam, which means winning the Masters in April. And I can't help thinking that these comments coming as they are in the first week of January, in the mm. podcast last week, second week of January now, in this particular instance, as he begins his actual competitive year in Dubai tomorrow, that they're geared towards getting all of this out of the way so that from here on he can concentrate on the run into Augusta, which he doesn't want any distractions from. OK, be uh, interesting to see how that one plays out. Uh, other news uh, today, Martin Slumbers announced that he will be stepping down as the RNA's Chief Executive Officer at the end of 2024 after nine years in office. So I suppose put this into context. What, what does that, that mean for golf, Greg? Well, firstly, Martin Slumbers came from the city, as they say in London, came from the financial industry and he came into the RNA's fairly by comparison to probably the real world of commerce, stuffy enough way of doing things mm. in 2014, 2015. 2015 was when he took over. And he he wasn't a whirlwind. He he really negotiated the diplomatic element to, you know, changing the organisation, professionalising it in terms of its commercial appeal, hugely grown the Open Championship, even more so in terms of proportion. He's grown the Women's Open, which now has a £9 million pound, uh, prize fund, or dollar prize fund, I should say. So he has been very innovative, uh, uh, the Orne broke with tradition in going for somebody from outside the game, but in many ways he was inside the game because he's a very fine player. And I know this from personal experience because in 2015 in Royal Port Rush, when they announced that the Open was going to be staged there, the, I went up there for a media competition and uh, who was on my team other than Martin Slumbers? A very, very fine player playing above two or three we have a uh, we won the prize uh, because of the so way playing he played. Off your, like yourself, Greg. Well, I was like, yeah. playing off that little <laughs> handicap, no. but I have a bottle of whiskey at home, and, and, and that, that he won for me, and I haven't opened it since. But he he came in with a totally different approach, and I think it's been very very influential. And there's a lot of surprise that he's left, especially because he actually met with Yasser Al Rumayan of the PIF last year, played in the Dunhill Links with him in a team, so. What's next for Martin Slumbers? Who knows? Well, we've 12 months to speculate. He won't be stepping out until the end uh, of the year. Let us finish on a good news story. Um, former US Open champion Gary Woodland is returning uh, to golf after brain surgery. When I say good news, this is a great news story. It is, and I can tell you, Gary Woodland is a fine player, fine ball striker, won that US Open in 2019 really well. Just not a top rank player, but when he's on, he's really on. And last April, let's hear from himself, because last April, he this thing was diagnosed but the thing about this was that he's actually playing quite well when it was diagnosed and he had a brain tumour and he spoke about the horrors that he's undergone in the last nine months since last April I, I started feeling some symptoms um, in April a couple of weeks after Augusta a lot of jolting a lot of fear uh, mostly around death it started getting so bad I called my doctor I'm shaking so bad he wanted to roll out Parkinson's and I got an MRI that night and it came back with a lesion looks like a tumor on my brain. So surgery and removal was the next step. They couldn't get it all out from where it is located. It was benign, which is the big deal. If it was cancerous, they would have removed it all. But they believe they cut off the blood circulation to what's left. So they're tracking it right now with every three months with MRIs still. We'll just pray and hope that it continues to not grow. Yeah, really wish Gary Woodland well. He tees it up in the Sony Open in Hawaii in his comeback event tomorrow. And he's not quite out of the woods yet to coin a phrase. Not yet, but we'll finish uh, on that positive note. Greg Allen, thank you uh, for popping into the studio. Big thanks to John Farrell, who produced uh, this evening's show. Better De Silva is up next, so do stay tuned to 2FM. I'll be back tomorrow at 6 o'clock. From all of the Game On team, it is. Bye for now. RTE 2FM.
2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last.